I take it everyone had pretty good breaks. Mm. Who, who likes scary movies? Hey, I was surprised. I expected more, more people who didn't like scary movies. All right, it's like almost half the crowd. I like scary movies. Uh, a lot of people are surprised when they hear how much I like scary movies. What, Ado? What were you trying to say? So you're, so you're tattletelling. Dang, Jesus juke. Can't beat that. Sorry, Charles, you lost. Eight oh wins. <laughs> well, I, I, I like scary movies. I, I'm a b very big fan of scary movies. I, uh, I don't necessarily encourage people to go see them because like 80% of them are pretty bad. But every now and then, you get that good scary movie. Who thinks they could find themselves in an actual scary movie. Like, who thinks that's a real possibility? A lot less hands. Who thinks, like, you may wake up tomorrow and, I don't know, all of a sudden you're Rick, and the world is overrun by zombies, and you gotta find a way to survive, and you gotta kill your best friend. Ooh, sorry anyone who saw, hasn't seen that. Or, maybe you think that you're gonna have, like, who thinks they could have a really creepy dude who got burned alive, and his name is Freddy Krueger, who chases you around in your dreams. Allie thinks that. Or, uh, that, is, that is pretty before y'all's time. Y'all, what y'all are aware of is more like, like an, I don't know, somebody who's like on insult comic, who chases you around in your dreams. That would be even creepier. <laughs> There's like 12 people here who got that. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> I'm d okay, I'm, I'm done with the inside jokes. If, if you haven't seen it, though, it's so, it's so comic, YouTube, it won't, it won't disappoint you. <laughs> okay, for real, though, some people think, for the most, most people think, not some, most people think it's pretty ridiculous to think that you could end up on a scary movie. But I don't think that's... I don't think that's that crazy. In fact, who thinks they could find themselves in a situation where you no longer have control of who you are and something else is controlling you? It's speaking for you. It tells you what to do. It controls your impulses, your will. It takes over your body. Who thinks that could happen to them or to their roommate? I do. Some people have already seen it with their roommates. We, I, I like a guy somewhat. I'm not a huge fan, but I, I am, I appreciate his music. His name is Bob Dylan, and he wrote a song. <laughs> I think we have at least one Bob Dylan fan in the room. <laughs> but he has a song, it was his first Grammy. In fact, Bob Dylan tests, what was his first Grammy to get, what was his first song to get him a Grammy? Nope. Nope. You may not even have even heard of this song, but it was this one. It's called You Gotta Serve Somebody, and these are some of the lyrics. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. 
You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage. You might have drugs at your command, women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high-degree thief. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Have you heard of that song before? I like that song. It's a really good song. We're going to read a story tonight about a man who was serving something else, and it had control of him. And one thing that we know is anybody who's had a job, if you have a boss, that boss, they control what you do. They tell you the work to do. They tell you the pace that they want you to do it at. When you serve something or when you serve somebody, it controls you. And so I'm going to have Haley read for us. The story is in Mark chapter 5. Anyone who brought a Bible? If you didn't bring a Bible, we have. Okay, I'm going to read Mark 5, 1 through 17. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then, then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Thank you, Haley. That was really good. And very good pronunciation of certain names in this story. Uh, let's pray. Lord God, open our ears and our hearts to hear what you have to say to us through this story. Lord, you've spoken to me so much through this story in my life. I pray that you would speak to everyone here tonight. I pray, Lord God, that you would put your finger on specific things in our lives that we may be serving. And I pray, Lord, that we would respond like the man who is demon-possessed. And I ask, Lord, that you would put us in our right minds if we are not. Lord, 
I surrender to you. Speak through me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the story of a demoniac. I like that term. A demoniac is a person who is possessed by a demon. <laughs> demoniac. That's all I will say. <laughs> Any, I didn't hear what you said. <laughs> the, uh, so tonight is going to be kind of different. I'm going to do something which most people don't know what, it's, uh, know what this is, but it's called exegeting a passage. It's where you go and you look at specific things in the story. You like read something and then you go back through it and you just kind of talk about it as you go back through it. And that's what we're going to do. I hope it's interesting. I hope it makes sense. I love this story. It may be weird, but I, I really do like this story. And I hope that by the end, it, it is, is, a, is as fascinating to you as it is to me. But let's begin. It really is like a movie, too, because it's not like a, I mean, it's, it's almost crazy. It's almost beyond logic. It's, it's beyond what you could imagine. It's hard to even picture the story because it's so extreme. You look at the very beginning. The very beginning, it says, or early on, it says in Mark 4 through 5, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore, through the, tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This is crazy. This is unbelievable. This guy is cutting himself. When he cuts himself at night, he's yelling and screaming. He has supernatural strength. He's breaking through chains. That's not normal. That people don't do that. This is extreme. He's sleepless. He's tired. He's angry. If you go and read the other, the other, two of the other gospels tell the story too, and they add other details about it. This man in Luke, Luke, the most descriptive gospel that we have, says that. He would go, and he was violent. People couldn't even pass by the area. This guy, is, he's suicidal, and he's homicidal. I mean, he's crazy. It's not just a picture of, like, a guy who's, like, a maniac. This, is, this man is demon-possessed. He's doing stuff that normal people shouldn't be able to do. It's a pretty vivid picture. And so you keep going, and you look at verse, verses not, verse 9. It says, then G it says, Jesus walked up to him. And what did he say? He asked him what his name was. I don't think that he asked the demon what his name was. I think he asked, I think Jesus was asking the man what his name was, but it was the demon that spoke. Why? Because this man's not in control. He's not in control of his own life. Someone else is controlling him. Someone else is speaking for him. It's really sad when you look at it. And demon possession, it appears like this. You know, it happens where an evil spirit seduces a person and a person yields to it. And when they, and when they, when they give in to it over and over again, eventually it takes complete possession over them. So much so that their thinking is under its mastery, their will is dominated by this demon, and their emotions, their impulses are not their own emotions. It's the demon's impulses. When I think of people, when I usually, I'm, I already mentioned I like scary movies. 
when I watch scary movies, usually the people who are demon-possessed are the people who live, like, way out in the woods, you know, like, if, if you're outside of West Virginia, then people are thinking about West Virginians. <laughs> if you're in West Virginia, you're probably thinking about Kentucky. Sorry, Jacob. But it's, I mean, it's just the what people, that's what they think of. They think of, that wouldn't happen in a city. That would happen, like, way out in the boondocks, you know, or people are, like, a law unto themselves, you know. Like, you go, and there's, like, certain towns in West Virginia that even you won't pass through. They think of places like that. But if you go back and look at eight, Luke 8.27, it says, And when he went forth to the land, there met him out of the city a certain man, which had devils a long time, and wore no clothes, neither abode in any house, but he was in tombs. That term, it says, there met him a man out of the city. That is a unique term. A better translation of it, commentators say, is a man of the city. Why is that important to us? What does that mean? It means what Luke is saying, I said he was the most descriptive of all the gospel authors. He explains that this man was not a normal man. He was a man who would, it's not normal to live in cities back then. This was a man of influence. This was a man who had some kind of eminence. This would be the kind of guy that is well-educated, probably the person that you, maybe he was like you, or he was someone you looked up to in high school. This wasn't just some random, weird kind of guy who's like, ah, oh, man, that guy's always into weird stuff. You know, like in high school, they're talking to themselves. He's not that guy. He's someone, he's, he's the person you would have voted for for homecoming king. And this is the guy who's cutting himself and living naked in tombs. That's, that's the man that we're looking at here. And so when you think about that, whoever that is, stop moving. <laughs> You're not allowed to move the rest of the, I think it's Adriana. I think she gave herself away. <laughs> but when you look at this guy, what happened? You think he just got curious one night and was like, hey, let me pull out a Ouija board. You know, I'm, <laughs> you know, the WVU's not playing tonight. You know, I might as well just pass the time some way. <laughs> or he, he probably didn't wake up one night and like move his, rearrange his room and find out that there was a pentagram under his bed. Like it was, <laughs> it was, it was, it was probably something much more subtle than that. It was probably something where, you know, like he just went and he gave himself to something and that thing took over him. I'll explain more about that later. But Ephesians 6.12 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. When I think of this man, I think of something like heroin addiction. Who knows how, some of y'all know how people get addicted to heroin, or really almost all drugs. It's, it's not as ridiculous as it seems. People go, and I know for me, the only reason I, I came very close to doing drugs multiple times. I never did, but I mean, I don't, I don't have that testimony where I was like a drug addict, you know, for like 26 years, and then one day the Lord like spoke to me. I don't have that cool of a testimony, but I did almost do drugs a few times, and every time I almost did it, it was a girl involved. It was like, hey, she does drugs. 
pretty attractive. <laughs> I like her. I think she likes me. I can do drugs. And for a girl, I almost did drugs multiple times. Multiple times. In saying that, how does a person become a drug addict? You think they just do drugs once and then all of a sudden this, this addiction is like, oh man, I can't stop. No, it's like heroin. You do heroin once and anyone who does heroin, the first hit you ever have will be the best hit you ever have. It'll be amazing. And then the person is like, oh, you know what? That was euphoria. I'll do it again one day. And they do it again week later or so, and it's not as good. And so they're like, ah, you know what? I'm going to do it one more time because if I do it again, then it'll be like that first time. And they do it again, and it's not even as good as the second time. And so they start using it more to try to get that first hit. And they have to use even more of it because each time you use it, it works less and less. And so they have to increase the usage. And then one, ha one day they wake up, and they realize that all the money that they had is gone. And the job that they probably had is gone, and their friends are gone, and their life is a wreck. And they didn't even realize how fast they fell. But they know one thing, there's this thing in their life, and it's taken over them, and they can't stop using it. Heroin addiction. The Bible says in Ephesians 12 that I just read, it says that our struggle is not just against demons, but against powers and spiritual forces, authorities. It may not be a demon that takes over. Maybe it's a principality, some authority or some power, something that seems harmless. Sometimes it's good things that take over our lives, and they control us instead of us controlling them. This is all over the Bible, too. It may not be demon possession to the extreme that we see this man in our story. It may be something else. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Samson. I'm, Katie says I'm a sucker for tragic stories. She's very right. I am like, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about how much I love this story. This is a very tragic story. I love tragic stories. If I see a movie, I saw a movie recently. I'm not going to say what movie it was. It's super tragic, super sad. A bunch of people in this guy's family die. You know, he's like really angry, and he's like, revenge. It was a great movie to me. You know, Katie's like, this is super depressing. I'm like, hey, this is, this is, this is, this is worthy of an Oscar. And so <laughs> I like tragic stories. A tragic story in the Bible, one of the most tragic stories is the story of Samson. Most people are familiar with that story. Super strength. There's another dude with supernatural strength. It's a pretty crazy story. His story is awesome. If you want to go back and read it, it's in Judges 13. Hmm. Hmm. Probably try. I'll try to keep it close, Sean. Judges 13 through 17, if you ever get curious. If you go back and read his story, before he's born, his mom is barren. And one day an angel shows up to both of his parents and says, you're going to have a son, and this son is going to be special. Name him Samson and make him a Nazarite. A Nazarite means you don't, you don't touch women, you don't touch alcohol, and you don't touch dead things. The reason for that was because, and the angel said it, he needs to be consecrated completely to God because God is going to do some great, great things through him. And so we see Samson early on in his life, and he is a Nazarite, and he's doing some great things for God. But he's also trying to hold on to some small lust that he has, or some small temptation that he has. The temptation is lust, and he's trying to give himself to that. And early on in his life, 
he is very interested in women. And he tries to have God and this desire. And I think Jesus says it well when he says in Matthew 6, 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. As we look at Samson's story, he goes on and he does great things, but he gets further and further in, so much so that towards the end of his life, we see him before Delilah, and everybody knows that story. Samson goes, and he's with Delilah, and Delilah's like, hey, Samson, tell me the secret to your strength. And three times she fails, and it's so obvious that she is trying to deceive this man. But he, doesn't, he is blind to this obvious, obvious deception by this woman because he is so caught up in her because he's been serving her that he gives his strength away, he gives his secret away, he gives his call on his life away, and then in the end, where do we see Samson? He's in chains, his strength is gone, his eyes are gone, because they took out his eyes and he's a captive to the Philistines. And it's such a crazy story because there's no Delilah, there's no woman there with him. He's there by himself and all of a sudden he woke up and he realized, oh my gosh, I've been serving something else, not God. But it was so late when he realized that. The reason I say that is because usually it takes, usually it's just too late. Not too late, but it's like you lose so much when you finally wake up to what you've been serving if it's not God. This man had to lose his eyes before he could realize and his strength. So I've been reading this book. Bear with me. It's a book called Demon Possession. It was a gift from Katie Sears or Charles. I don't know which one, but one of them gave it to me for Christmas. It's my bedtime book. I read it right before I go to bed every <laughs> night. I'm not joking. It's a very good book. It's really cool because, um, not because it's about demon possession, but because of like what you learn. It's okay. I'm not even going to try to explain it. Basically, it's about a missionary who lived in China for many years, and he was a missionary there, and he didn't believe in demon possession. He didn't even believe this was possible. But he kept seeing things that it was like, this looks like stuff that was going on in the Bible. This is impossible. I didn't even think this stuff existed today. And he couldn't help but write a book about his experiences and what he learned because of it. And so as I'm reading this book, it appears over and over and over again. Same, same thing. How, did, how does a demon take over a family or take over someone in a family? This family lets their lives become a mess. And then the demon just takes over. The demon comes in and he's like, look, you have a lifestyle that has welcomed me in and I'm gonna take advantage of that. It's the same, it may look different each time, but it's always, it's always like that. That may seem crazy to you, but hopefully later on it'll make a little bit more sense. We move on. We got something with, with some pigs. Pigs, 2,000 pigs, run off a cliff. It's, it's pretty crazy. In Mark 5.11, it says, a large herd of pigs was feeding nearby, nearby on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. A herd of pigs, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into a lake and drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the people. 
this in the town and in the countryside, and the people went out to see what happened. When they, when they came to Jesus, they saw that the man who had been demon-possessed by the legion of demons was sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told him, told, and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus and to lead. The people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. That is crazy. Why would you? You have this man who has been a terror to your region. And I bet you some of the people who are out there who see this are like, that, used, that guy used to be in our, that guy's my brother. That guy's my cousin. I used to work with that guy. They know who this guy is. They tried to chain him up. And they asked Jesus to leave after he heals one of their own. It's crazy. And what's the big deal about pigs? Why would they get mad over some pigs? For a long time, I read this story, and this part always troubled me because I was like, man, you just had this guy that you loved so much, and he's delivered and freed, and you want Jesus to leave? And then a, and then a man named G. Campbell Morgan helped me to realize what this was saying. He pointed out to me that it was illegal to have pigs and that number of pigs if you are a Jew and if you are living in a Roman region. Swine, that's unkosher if you're a Jew. If you're a Jew, you don't have pigs to begin with. Not only did they have some pigs, they also had 2,000 of them. Roman, the Romans didn't allow people to have herds that large that wasn't government owned and operated. This town was, it was, it was dealing with some corruption. That's like, who lives in a dorm? Okay, there's a good amount of us that live in a dorm. I used to live in a dorm. I lived four years in a dorm. I, I, like, I like dorms. But one thing about a dorm, some dorms have policies where you can't have microwaves. Anybody have that kind of policy in their dorm? A few of y'all. What if instead of having one microwave in your dorm, you have 142? <laughs> okay, that's, that's not good. Or what if, like, this is like this is like driving around with not like a bag of weed in your trunk. It's like having it's like having five thousand bags of weed in your trunk and some AK forty sevens and a dead body back there. <laughs> it is it it is that bad. This is this is a really not good situation. It, it it is not good at all. And they got they got these pigs on the hillside and they asked Jesus to leave because they'd rather have their pigs than be delivered. How many people in the world today, how many people, the only reason they reject Jesus is not because of what he said or what he did, but because they know, just like these people, if I let Jesus into my life, a good deal that I love might have to go. Winky Prattney says it so well. He says, intellectual deception is not first. It always follows moral rejection. Intellectual deception always follows moral rejection. People, don't, people aren't deceived because ah, God just wasn't proved to me. No, they're deceived because they pick, they say, I just don't want to give something up. And so they find a viewpoint, a perspective where they say, ah, you know what? 
because I want to keep sleeping with so-and-so and I know I shouldn't, I'd rather just say Jesus isn't true than admit what's really going on in my heart. And this may seem crazy. This may seem crazy to some people to be like, it, it was crazy to me. You read the story and you're like, they picked pigs over Jesus? But everybody who reads Samson's story, everyone, me included, you read this guy's story and you're like, dude, God was using you in a mighty, mighty way. And you picked this woman? You picked this woman over all of that. And it's not because it's a woman. It's just because of the fact that he picked this small thing over God. But anybody who's not us thinks the same thing about anything that we're holding on to. It looks crazy to everyone else that we would hold on to some of the things we hold on to. But to us, it makes a whole lot of sense. And to these people, it makes a lot of sense. Oh, yeah, pigs? Yeah, this is, I got to keep my pigs. My pigs are a big deal. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. And so Jesus leaves. And this is so sad. This is so sad. And this is a reality of life. The tragedy of life is that we have the awful power of severing ourselves from his influence. We see in this story that Jesus could command unclean spirits, but he can only plead with your heart. God is a gentleman. He will not force you to do anything. Jesus says, Jesus says, behold, I stand at your door and knock. He doesn't say, behold, I blow your door down or make a Jesus-shaped hole in it so I can come into your life whenever I want. <laughs> no, he's a gentleman. And he can only plead with these people. And the last picture we have is Jesus leaving. So sad. The tragedy of this story is not how bad the demoniac got. The tragedy of the story is these people. As I come to the end of everything tonight, this is a very tragic story. But... It is also an amazing story. Does, has anyone ever noticed what comes before and after this story in the Bible? Christopher does, because I told him. But this story takes place in the middle of the greatest mission trip in the history of mission trips. I'm not joking. This story is in the middle of a mission trip above all mission trips. No mission trip will beat this mission trip. If this mission trip was offered here at WVU by Chi Alpha, there would have been a 10,000% 10, increase in mission, mission trip in our mission trips this year. We would have had people signing up for our mission trips who aren't even in Chi Alpha. People who, aren't even, aren't even, who don't even live in West Virginia. They would, they would have wanted to come on this mission trip. Y'all think I'm crazy. If you read, go read before the story and read what happens after. Right before the story, I mean, not like, not like, oh, 
like, like a day before. I'm saying like hours before, like an hour before. The disciples are on a boat. They think they're about to die. And they, they, right before they think they're about to die, it says water is coming into the boat. And they think they're about to drown. And they go up to Jesus and say, Jesus, do something. And then he's like, okay. And he, that was close. He yells out to the storm. And he's like, quiet! Just waking up anybody who might have been asleep. But he yells at the storm. And he yells, quiet. And the storm stops immediately. It's so crazy that the disciples were there. And they're like, did you see that? <laughs> Even the winds and the waves obey this dude. It didn't say that they were like, yo, that was sick. They were like terrified. What is going on? And then they, they go, <laughs> and right when they land on shore, maybe minutes later, maybe an hour later, they see a naked dude talking in multiple voices, and he runs up to Jesus, and he kneels. And he's asking Jesus to have mercy on him. And they're like, what is going on? And, they, and Jesus cast out this demon from this man. They see what happens. They see the people's response. And then they leave. As soon as they get to the other side of the lake, they get off. A crowd meets them. In the crowd, a man runs, runs up to them and says, hey, will you heal my daughter? She is at home, and she, she is dying. She's sick. Please come. Jesus says yes. They go on their way. As they're going, a woman comes and grabs Jesus' cloak, and then, and she's healed. This woman has been bleeding for like 12 years. She has like, she has like the worst period of all time. It is, it is, I mean, yes, oh, that is terrible. <laughs> like, y'all know, know that's 12 years of bleeding? Her life is so sad up until this moment, and she's healed. And while she's talking to Jesus after she's healed, some, a servant of this man who has the sick daughter walks up to them and says, hey, don't worry about it. Your daughter's already dead. Jesus, give, give Jesus a break. Your daughter's dead. There's no hope. Jesus says, don't worry about it. They go to the, woman, the man's house anyways, and he raises the girl from the dead. Who wants to go on that mission trip? Sign me up right now. If you look at this from the disciples' perspective, they realized that night, that day, that whole day, they realized that this man, there may be some scary stuff going on in the world, and there may be some scary powers, but this man has power over all of creation, over all unclean spirits in the supernatural world, and he has power over all sickness. That mission trip changed the disciples' perspective forever. My favorite verse in this entire story is verse 15. It says, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been demon-possessed by a legion of demons sitting there dressed and in, in his right mind. And they were And they were afraid. The world is always afraid of people who are in their right mind. Remember that. This man was in his right mind, and they were afraid. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what you're holding on to. I know some things that I've had to, as I've studied this story and have looked at my own life, I have noticed subtle things 
that I've been holding on to that have been taking over and they've had priority over my life. It can be a good thing, it can be a bad thing, but it's bad when it becomes everything to you. This man was put in his right mind and he was freed. What do you think this man's life was like afterwards? How sweet it had to be. How sweet is it to think about the fact that, how, how embarrassed do you think he was because of this? How awful do you think he thought of himself after being possessed by this demon? He's running around and he's not even clothed. And Jesus sets this man in his right mind, cleans him up, takes care of him. It doesn't say that the man did anything except come to Jesus. It wasn't because of how great the man was. It was because he went to Jesus and he surrendered and he let Jesus heal him. I mentioned Samson earlier. Samson's story is tragic, but all tragic stories are great if they have a redeeming ending. And that's why I like tragic stories. At the end of Samson's life, we see him. He's in chains. He's in the chains of his enemies. His eyes are gone. And all of a sudden, he gets it. And he cries out to God and he says, Lord, I've made a mistake and I'm sorry. And I'm so sorry, Lord God. You called me to a much greater life than what, than the pigs that I've been living for. Would you use me once more for you? I surrender. And in his final act of his life, the Lord heard him. And he used him to do one last great thing. And the great thing that he did, as you read the end of Judges 17, was so great that he went and did more in that one act than he had accomplished in his entire life combined. That's what it says. A surrendered man in his right mind. You can do so much more surrendered to God than you can controlled by some other spirits or some other principalities, or some other powers by yourself. And the cool thing is, when you're in your right mind, you're doing it. Something, is, something isn't controlling your impulses. I, let's, let's pray right quick. Lord God, Speak to us. Help us to say yes to you, Lord. Help us to say no to whatever pigs are in our life. Help us, Lord God, to surrender to you. Lord, I know if we do that, you will put us in our right minds, and you will do more through us than we could have ever imagined or planned for ourselves. In fact, you say that in your word. You say, Lord God, that you can do more than we could ever. You could do infinitely more than we could ever ask or imagine. And your word also says that where, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more, Jesus. You can clean up any situation. Help us, Lord God, to see that. Help us to say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to I wanna do something a little different tonight. 
I don't know. I don't know what may be going on in your life. I don't know what you may what you may be thinking about in regards to what may be everything to you. I've seen people give themselves to a lot of different things. I've seen people give themselves to needles. I've seen themselves give I've seen people give themselves to their grades and thinking that some future career is going to solve all their problems and make and take away all the pain that they had prior to wherever they are in their lives. I've I've seen I've seen it with myself. I've seen it with other people. I've seen people, I've seen girls who give their life away to some guy who promises them the world and then delivers nothing. I've seen a lot of things. And I don't know what it may be for you, but I think, I think it's worth asking ourselves, Lord, what, what are the pigs in my life? What do I have hidden on the hillside of my life where no one can see it, but I'm holding on to this and it's bad because it is more important to me than you. You know, it's gonna sound weird, but I had to, I, I recently had to like let go of something where, is, I know it sounds simple, it was, it was television and it was specifically sports. Sports had just taken over my life where I was more interested in some sports event or game coming up and reading updates about it so much so that I, I like wasn't making time for things that were more important. And I had to give that to the Lord. It can be something simple. It can be something not even seemingly that bad. Sometimes it's like, it's just a religious spirit where you just hold other people in contempt if they're not as good as you, or you're holding tightly to some denomination or some way that you think church ought to play out. It could be anything. Tonight, I want to challenge everyone here. Specifically right now, I want to challenge the guys. Whether you have never really stood up for the Lord, and whether you've never really said, like, Lord, I want you to be my king and my captain, I'm asking right now that you would put your reputation on the side. You would put what people think of you. You'd put that in the trash. And you would stand up and you would say, Lord, I want you to be my king. I want to serve you and you only. I don't want to be a slave to pornography. I don't want to be a slave to anything because I want to serve you and I want to be in my right mind. Or maybe you just need to be like Samson. And you've tried to serve God and something else. And you don't want that something else to end up controlling you. If that's you tonight, put your reputation to the side. Stand up and declare by standing that you want God to be everything to you. And you want him to have priority in your life. I'm calling you to stand up and declare in front of everyone, yourself, God, me, everyone here, that I intend for Jesus to be my Lord, and I don't want to be a servant to anything else. So if that's you, stand right now.
Ladies too, if you want to stand and say, by standing, I don't want to serve anything else, say that to him. Let this be a prayer to the Lord that you will rule and reign in my life and you will control me. Not any foolish desires, not any things that seem good, not things that the world tells me I need. Father God, Lord, we want you, and we don't want anything else. We don't want to serve pigs. We don't want to serve any unclean spirits. We don't want to even serve good things. We want to serve you and you alone, Lord God. I pray right now for everyone who's standing up for you, Lord. I pray that you would encourage everyone. Father God, they will fall. I pray that you would help them to get back up. Help them to remember the vows that they've made to you. Help them to remember, Lord God, that where their sin abounds, your grace abounds still. Samson had victory in surrender. This man had victory in falling at your knees. Lord God, we'll never be good enough. We'll never be great enough. Have mercy on us, Lord God, and use us once more. No matter what we've done, clean up our messy past, clean up our messy reputations, all the mistakes that we wish we wouldn't have made, all the regrets we have. Clean it up, Lord God. You can set us in our right minds. And I pray, Lord God, that as you set us in our right minds, the world would see and they would, they would be afraid, not afraid of you, but afraid so much that they would see that you are worthy and that they would want to, want to run to you as well. Deliver us. Deliver us from ourselves and our own silly desires that we have. But God, you are so good. Thank you for what you did in this man's life. Thank you for what you will do in all of our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name.